This episode of Futuropolis is brought to you by Braintree. If you're working on a mobile app or searching for a simple payment solution, check out Braintree. It's got one simple integration. You can offer your customers every way to pay, like literally every way to pay. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com future. You've probably heard of the $6 million man. In the TV show, Steve Austin was an astronaut. When his spaceship crashed, doctors and scientists had to put him back together and replace his right arm, both legs, and left eye with bionic versions. In the 70s, when the show aired, it was pure science fiction and super futuristic. But today, we actually do have the technology, and it's a part of everyday life. In Best Buy the other day, I was standing there looking at something, and I look over, and there's this little kid with his jaw on the ground. Like, I'm telling you, I have never seen a face like that outside of a cartoon. Like, it was really like, he was just in shock and awe, and it was in a positive way. And I looked at him, and I said, it's like a robot arm. And he was like, that's so cool. Like, and it was just a great feeling to have, like, that gap bridge. This is the reality in 2015. So just imagine what it will be like in, say, 2075. That's what we're talking about in this episode of Popular Science's Futuropolis. I'm Lindsay Cradwell. And I'm Brianna Draxler. Today's bionic limbs have come a long way. After World War II, there was a high demand for prosthetics. And back then, they were rather rudimentary. In 1947, Popular Science described an upgrade, a metal leg held in place by a vacuum. The device uses a torque rod inside an aluminum tube to permit the toe of the foot to swing through a four-inch arc at each step. When the foot leaves the ground, the torque rod pulls it back to a straight-ahead position. A bumper and two stops prevent the rod from twisting too far in either direction. A month later, still in 1947, Popular Science raved about a new plastic arm that would be more versatile than the common hook-shaped prosthesis. For amputations below the elbow, the Northrop arm has a rotating wrist, operated by movements of the forearm, that contains a set of gears to increase the wearer's dexterity. The wrist can be locked in any position to lift heavy objects without danger of slipping. So over the years, bionic limbs have gotten more lifelike and more comfortable to use. But they're certainly not perfect, particularly in complex joints like the wrist. Here's Angel again. Right now, the only thing commercially available is a rotation wrist, which is rotates 360 degrees, which can be helpful, but is more so just a really cool party trick. I mean, you know, but flexion and extension, which you think most of the activities you do, like bending down to pick up a key or something like that, most of the time you would bend your wrist or to bring your hand to your mouth to eat or drink you would bend your wrist. And then there's the challenge of being able to actually feel what your bionic hand is grasping. That's the specialty of Silvestro Michera, who works on neuroprostheses at the École Polytechnique Fédérale de Lausanne in Switzerland. What is missing in current prosthesis is the possibility to get sensory information while grasping an object. Because of this, the patient is not able to get what is called embodiment which is the possibility to feel the prosthesis as part of the body of the user. That's why Michera helped create a prosthesis called LifeHand 2. A neural implant sends feedback to the brain and allows users to feel the difference between holding a solid wood block or a soft bunch of cotton swabs, for example. So we've made progress, but will real-life bionic hands ever be as good as Luke Skywalker's? And will we ever meet a $6 million man? We'll have to get back to you on that. 
We do know that as the technologies develop, they'll get more responsive and sensitive. And soon enough, people could choose to get them as a limb enhancement rather than a replacement. And we wanted to find out more from someone who has built and experienced such enhancement firsthand. So we called up professional rock climber and double amputee Hugh Herr, who designs his own superhuman bionics. We'll hear from him next. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Futuropolis is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you're a mobile app developer, check out Braintree. Braintree is the easy payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experience in these apps seamless and magical. And now you can add a similar experience to your own app. With excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. And Braintree's continuous support, plus fast payouts, means you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is helping solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience. Check it out for yourself. Plus, they give you a full-stack payment solution, Support for all payment types your customers might want. Start accepting PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more, all with a single integration across all platforms, with superior fraud protection, customer service, and fast payouts. To learn more, and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, go to braintreepayments.com future. And now, back to our conversation with Hugh Herr. My name is Hugh Herr. I am a professor at MIT. I co-direct the Center for Extreme Bionics. Um, my specific group is to develop uh, bionic limbs uh, that attach to a human being to augment their physical capability. So bionics is not just a field of study for you, it's also personal. Yes, I was a mountain climber uh, during my teenage years. When I was 17, I was climbing Mount Washington in the Northeast uh, in the winter with my partner, Jeff Baxter. We were struck by a blizzard and were, were uh, out uh, in the wilderness for many days and suffered severe frostbite. After months of effort, my medical team gave up the struggle to uh, save the limbs and both had to be amputated below the knee. So I, I'm now... Um, what's called a bilateral below-knee amputee, and I use prostheses to, to move, to walk, and to run. So when did you build your first set of legs? Shortly after my amputation surgeries, I was fitted with uh, conventional prosthetic limbs. They were passive without sensing or computation or any muscle-like actuation. Uh, and I was, I was shocked by the lack of, of technology uh, and really decided to begin uh, experimentation, to begin a design process to build my own limbs. My first initiative was to build prosthetic limbs that would enable me to return to mountain climbing. So I developed limbs that, where I could adjust my height, be short or tall to reach hand and footholds. Uh, limbs that enabled me to climb steep ice walls, um, steep rock walls. I'd also sorts of different attachments, uh, spiked feet, feet that I could 
stand on small rock edges the width of a coin, feet that would penetrate into rock fissures. And by, by through this design process, um, it was only 12 months until I was climbing better than I had achieved before my accident. So when you're trying to create these, what have you found to be the real sticking points? What are the most difficult things in a limb to replicate? Uh, there's many areas of difficulty. So Binex is um, the process of, of developing interfaces between the biological body and, and built structures. Um, and the interesting challenges are those, those bionic interfaces. There's several types of interfaces. One is mechanical. How do you attach built devices to the human body mechanically in a safe, reliable, and comfortable manner? Another interface is electrical. How do you communicate uh, into and out from the human nervous system to any external device? And third is dynamic. How do you build body parts, if you will, that that behave naturally, that behave with natural dynamics, natural um, capabilities to their biological counterparts? So at MIT, we're, we're advancing the science and basic technology uh, of these three extreme interfaces, mechanical, electrical, and dynamic. And what have been some of the most... Um, I guess, impressive feats that you've accomplished so far in those areas? Well, our most impressive feat was to develop a bionic foot. Ha, huh. I couldn't resist. <laughs> um, I didn't even realize I had said that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sometimes say we're in the transportation business. It's an odd transportation because we're building legs, but we're, we're building these synthetic body parts from the ground up, feet, ankles, knees, hips, both prosthetics uh, where the device um, sits in the void where a, uh, a limb is missing, and also orthotics and exoskeletons that wrap around uh, um, either an impaired limb or a healthy limb to augment physicality. And as somebody who who does a lot of rock climbing, you probably intimately know the limits of what the human body can and can't do. Can you talk to your experience of how having these bionic limbs have changed your climbing experience? It's quite comical, actually, wearing artificial limbs in the vertical world of rock and ice climbing. Sometimes there's been experiences where I've, I've fallen and I've, the rope eventually caught me after falling 30 feet and I come swinging into the face and my legs crash against the vertical wall and on one occasion they broke and one of my feet went tumbling down the mountain and a tourist went by and I yelled down to the tourist hanging from the rope, hey, could you go and gather that shoe? Because I had a shoe around the prosthetic foot and the tourist walked over and grabbed it and, and yelled back with a shaky voice, there's a foot in it. <laughs> uh, so it's, there's a lot of funny experiences, actually. Oh, I'm sure. That sounds slightly different than most rock climbers experience when they're having that, that swinging moment. Yeah, it would be quite devastating if someone's biological foot broke off. But with me, it just means that I go back to the repair shop, and in a day, I have a new foot. 
Have there been any surprising discoveries you've had from experiences like that? Things you, maybe capacities you didn't anticipate needing? I mean, one, one quickly throws out the notion that the prosthesis has to have a human shape or even a human function. Um, so I very quickly began just optimizing function and not worrying about how the prosthesis looked, whether it had a human structure or morphology or not. So I, I ended up with a, f- a foot that doesn't look human at all. That's simply optimal for vertical climbing. It's very short, very, it's like a size of a baby's foot, and it doesn't even have a heel, and it's at optimal angles to enable, uh, you know, to, one to stand on uh, a rock edge that's a fraction of the width of a, of a coin's edge. And so when you abandoned that, human imitation course. Did you have other inspirations in figuring out what was optimal? It's sometimes very helpful to study nature, to study our own bodies, because it gives clues on how to design systems that emulate that capability. But on occasion, we, we in society, architect machines that go beyond anything in nature, like our, our super jets, for example. Um, go beyond what birds can do. And that the same thing will happen with the bionic structures. Um, there'll be some bionics that emulate the human body or human cognition in the case of uh, brain implants. And there'll be others in the future that are simply an exploration of what's possible. So in that realm of enhancement versus replacement, do you see a particular trajectory of where that might take us? If something is possible, um, given physical law, given the laws of nature, then I think ultimately humans will explore it. And the reason why uh, reality tracks so often science fiction literature is that often what's, what's imagined by humans uh, can actually come come to pass. How about in your personal experience? Do you have ideas for what your next version of legs might look like with added capabilities? Well, my lifetime, I, I want I want to experience an augmented perception. I'd like to be able to feel my synthetic limbs uh, in the in the way that you feel your limbs. Hopefully, I'll experience an augmented physicality at some point because of perhaps motor inventions uh, that are superior to biological muscle tissue. I have this funny image of me being an octogenarian and jumping high heights and doing crazy things. That sounds pretty great. Absolutely. Yeah. How do we how do we toe that line between human and machine? When one thinks about the future bionics, um, deeply, one often comes to the question, what, is, what does it really mean to be human? If, if a human being replaces all their limbs by synthetic limbs, are they still a human? I think most people would say, yes, they are. Um, if, if a human being starts fundamentally changing their brain, well, some people would say, well, perhaps they're no longer human. So that's... that. That question of what does it mean to be human will be asked over and over in this century, and it will uh, unearth a very interesting philosophical debate.
Um, I'm intrigued by the the notion of embedding humanity, uh, who we fundamentally are, into the built world, into des- into design structures. You know, just because something's made of titanium and silicone and carbon and various synthetic materials does not mean that it's somehow less than human. We can embed our humanity. We can embed our ideas and our creativity and our um, our expressions into synthetic bodies. And they can be just as beautiful and expressive and wonderful as our own bodies made of cells. So people often think of humans attaching to these unfeeling robots and how horrific that is because we're degrading our humanity. I don't, I don't see the future in that way. I, I see a more integrative emergence between what nature has provided, our, our own innate biological bodies and environments, uh, natural environments, with what we imagine and what we construct in, in the design realm. Uh, emergence, a beautiful blending that I hope, uh, if we're careful, will lead to a, uh, a more interesting, expressive human experience. So in this world, do you think when we say the word bionic, it's going to have a very different connotation? I do. In today's society, in our culture today, we often view something artificial, especially when it's attached to the human, as somehow inhuman or unholy, that somehow our innate bodies are are better um, than the devices that we conceive and construct. In the case of Oscar Pistorius and the debate over the Olympics, his participation in, in the Olympics, that debate was utterly fascinating. There's many people that were deeply offended at the notion of a person with artificial limbs competing against persons with normal biological limbs, that somehow it, it would destroy sport, that it would that, that it would be ugly. So I think that will disappear, this what I call cell and tissue-centric culture, that somehow our, our cells and our bodies are holy and you know, the atoms and, and synthetic structures are somehow less than. When, when you have this emergence between our bodies and the built world, uh, that will disappear. And what's your biggest hope for this, this world in which we can integrate better and these sci-fi visions are actually part of our reality? I believe strongly that we will build a, a world in which um, disability vanishes. Right now, approaching half the world's population deeply suffers from conditions affecting the human sensory system, um, the brain and cognition and the neural mechanics of the body. So many people in the world cannot move in the way they wish to move, cannot feel or see or sense in the way they wish to sense and cannot think and feel the, the way that they wish to think and feel. So it's, there's a profound opportunity to eliminate that human suffering in, in, this, in this century and really set the scientific and technological foundation for a level of augmentation that has not yet been 
observed or experienced in humanity. It's a very hopeful picture and so much different than I think the the limited view we have now where it's, you know, if you say bionics, it's often just the $6 million man that pops into people's heads. Right. But we, we must remind ourselves that today humans are are very, very um, augmented. We don't think of it um, because it's so commonplace. So we hop in these machines called airplanes and we're able to go tremendous distances over a short period of time, and automobiles and bicycles and all, all these transportation platforms. We have mobile devices which augment our communications, our memory. So everywhere we look, we are augmented. And that augmentation capability will simply increase as we march into this century. It's not, to me, it's not scary. It's, it's a natural part of our um, evolution. And an exciting one at that. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Before we go, we've got a special treat for you. In the September issue of our magazine... On Newsstands Now, executive editor Jennifer Bogo spoke with Dean Kamen about how to be an expert inventor. So while she was at it, we had her pick his brain on bionic enhancement. I don't know why people act like that's a, a shocker. But I mean, you have perfect vision, but you're happy to go buy binoculars. And you have great vision, but you want to see those small things, you're happy to go buy a microscope. Um, we, we have lived in a world where we add functionality to all of our senses uh, through technology. Enhancement is something he thinks about a lot. He even created a prosthesis called the Luke Arm that allows a user to make multiple movements at the same time, like turn his wrist and open his hand. But the idea that humans use technology to enhance our basic capabilities to see, to hear, to move, to lift, to run it. I mean, that's sort of what technology is always about. The fact that we can now make those improvements permanently part of our body is just a technical threshold we've reached. It's not a fundamental difference in what humans aspire to do. If you could take the wings of that jet plane that let you go 700 miles an hour and tuck them into something that you attach to your back and turn them on whenever you want to go somewhere, that's what dreams are made of. Uh, so I, I, the, the naive assumption that we're not going to use things that are inside or attached to the body to more than restore what limited capability we have is, I think, uh, it's naive. That's it for this episode of Futuropolis. If you want more, you can find us at popsci.com or on Twitter at popsci. Futuropolis is part of the Panoply Network. Check out the entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. We'd like to thank Henry Malofsky, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply for their production help. Thanks also to Levi Sharp for his wonderful interview with Angel Jafria. And a big thanks to Sophie Bushwick, the timeless voice of our archives. I'm Brianna Draxler. And I'm Lindsay Cradwell. Thanks for listening. See you next time. In the future.